Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. I don't know how we keep doing it, but we made it through another week. It's Friday. I think, right? Today's Friday? Yeah. Friday, July the 14th. It's easy to lose track. Fantasy NBA Today is the show. I am your host, Dan Vespers. Thanks, as always, for hanging out for a little bit here. Off-season shows, a little bit shorter than our in-season stuff. We also don't have the massive YouTube presence here in the off-season. I don't know, man. It just it hasn't felt like it hasn't felt like it's been needed. Honest to goodness, I like I don't know that there's a whole lot of value add in doing the YouTube thing. So I I dialed those back. We'll get them fired back up at some point uh Probably September? I don't know, maybe even a little bit earlier. Whatever. Figured out when we figured out. Figured out when we figured out. You guys will you guys will know when I know. I do a lot of stuff by the seat of my pants on this pod, if you guys were not already aware of that. We continue today with our journey through the free agency mayhem that began on June the 30th. And ran through about the next five, six days or so. And we've just been kind of going backwards through all of it. And tackling every signing, every trade, every extension. And what it means for free well, for fantasy values. Up, down, around. Yesterday we left off. Uh, Cam Johnson was the last player we talked about. So continuing our journey backwards. We're, by the way... We're into Friday now. We're into that first day of free agency. So this is, we're, we're pretty close to the end of the line. Something else might pop over the next day or two. We know the Lakers are looking for a center. We know that P.J. Washington is as of yet unsigned. Which is surprising, by the way. He's pretty good. Decent, like, multi-level guy with a little bit of defensive chops not not big time kind of undersized center but he'll get some cash one would think i don't know i mean the teams that have cash they start to dwindle a little bit and then life gets kind of hard but uh, again we'll cross that bridge when we get there so today with cam johnson being the last player we discussed on thursday's show we begin with Jakob purtle who came full circle last year traded back to the toronto raptors I have to admit, I kind of lost track of how many years that Jakob was in San Antonio. It was all part of that same deal. Uh, oh, look at that. Yahoo shut down their fantasy basketball pages today. <laughs> That's really funny. For all this time, I've been just like, if I wanted to pull up a guy's day-by-day day or something like that, I was just in my fantasy basketball pages while on the podcast. And so I'd just click into a player. It felt simple enough. Anyway, it's been a while. It might not seem like a while, but it's been a while. Jakob Pertl got traded to the Spurs um, during the 18-19 season. Can you believe that? That's a long time ago now. So part of that one, 1920, COVID season, 2021, shortened season, 21-22, 20-23. And he's back, baby. Back to the wraps. Back from whence he came. And he was only in Toronto for, what, a couple of years? Two years, I think? Two seasons? 
He was the ninth pick in the 2016 draft. Pretty crazy to think that he's been around for the better part of a decade now. Anyway, sidetrack Magoo over here. Let's talk about Jakob Pertl because Jakob had, in my eyes, two pretty distinct factions, two pretty distinct chunks, quanta, of this most recent season. He had the San Antonio chunk, and he had the Toronto chunk. And at a glance, they don't look that different. But on a deeper dive, they are extraordinarily different. In San Antonio this year, Pirtle averaged 12 points, 9 rebounds, 3 assists on 62% from the field, a blistering 60.5% at the free throw line, uh, 0.8 steals, 1.1 blocks, which, by the way, that's not that terrible. You know, that's like the first, what is that, three and a half-ish months of the season, the trade deadline. I think the trade deadline's about three and a half, four months in. And that put Jakob at around top 90 value overall. 2.1 turnovers actually kind of hurt him a little bit. That was a bigger number than I think folks expected. In Toronto, the final two-ish months of the season, a little bit less than that. Uh, no, actually, most right on the nose. 13 points, so one additional point. 9.1 rebounds per game, so 0.1. Assists actually dropped by 0.9. Steals and blocks went up from 0.8 to 1.2 in steals, from 1.1 to 1.3 in blocks. So that combined jumped from 1.9 to 2.5. That was a really nice leap for him. The scoring was mostly due to improved percentages. Went from 62 to 65. Free throw was down a little bit, but you know nominally so, 60 to 57. Uh, 5.8 out of 8.8 attempts from the field. But, and here's where we get to throw in the big swinging butt. He started with Toronto by coming off the bench for, I think it was about a week, week and a half, something like that. It didn't change what he did with the Raptors all that much, but it did kind of muck with the playing time a little bit. So you can actually learn a little bit more by going into the uh, game log and pulling that apart. His game log with San Antonio was relatively consistent. His minutes were bigger at the beginning of the year as the Spurs leaned more into the tank. His minutes leveled off more in the like 20, 22 to, to 30 range, sort of leveled off like around 25, 26. Then he got traded, jumped over to the Raptors, and his first game with Toronto, he played 16 and a half minutes, jumped to 25. And then his third game in Toronto, he was at 37 minutes per game. And you're like, well, Dan, what are we even talking about here? We're talking about two games where he wasn't really at his, what you'd call like standardized role with this club. Correct. Two games. But here's the thing. Two games... When you're with a team for, what was it, 20-some-odd? 25-ish? was it? Uh, let's get the exact number here. 26 is almost 10%. So that does actually weigh on the numbers a little bit. So, let's play a little game. 
He was traded Toronto. I think the trade deadline was February 9th this year. Uh, and he was traded like... Is it the date? No, he was on the deadline. Yeah, his first game with the Raptors was on February 10th. Played 16 and a half minutes and did nothing, really. He was inconsequential. He did have two steals and three blocks, by the way. Uh, No, excuse me, he had three turnovers. It was the next game where he started to get his legs underneath him. So if you eliminate the games on February 10th and February 12th, when he wasn't really settled in, and you instead go what is effectively, uh, I guess we can just say February 13th to end of season, which was April 9th, Pirtle's minutes are indeed higher. 28 instead of 27. Changed it by a, basically a full minute. Which again, you guys can be like, Dan, you're really, this is like too deep into the weeds even for me. During those 24 games, if you wipe out the first two, Jakob Pirtle in Toronto was a top 35 fantasy play. And even if you include those two, which, again, now you're like, you're sort of sabotaging your own numbers, but they matter, he drops into the 40s. 40s still sounds good, but that's including a game where they weren't really trying to play him at all. Over a 70-some-odd game season, you can wipe away one game where they weren't really playing a guy, but over 25 games, over a third of a season, a one-game blip, just to ease someone in, really does matter. Folks, picture this nightmare scenario. You're hosting friends for the big game. It's neck and neck in the fourth quarter, and suddenly you realize you're out of drinks. Ooh, say all of your friends. You start to sweat. Your friends turn on you. You're forced to go on a last-second drink run and end up missing the game-winning touchdown while in line. Oh, no. Terrifying, isn't it? Luckily, you can avoid the drama with Drizzly, the go-to app for drink delivery. With Drizzly, you can shop a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your watch party. Compare prices across multiple stores in your area, find the best deals on game day drinks, and get back to armchair quarterbacking from, you guessed it, your armchair. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. Must be 21 plus, not available in all locations. That's not to say that we can't factor in games where guys are coming back from injury, blah, blah, blah. That didn't really happen in Toronto, for better or, or, you know, we can call that luck or whatever. Point is here, we're talking about somebody that was a monster down the stretch. We have to look at a few things to find out if they're sustainable. Are the third, so again, wiping away those first two games, he averaged almost 14, nine and a half, 2.5 defensive stats that actually held. Uh, 9.3 shots per game instead of 8.8. So that's actually a pretty big jump there in field goal attempts. 60% free throw on 2.7 per game, which is relatively close to a punt guy, but not quite all the way there. Turnovers in Toronto were only at 1.1 instead of 2 in San Antonio because he wasn't orchestrating as much. The only thing that jumps out of me as maybe, and this is, this is a maybe, by the way, unsustainable, 
would be the steals. The steals at 1.2 in 28 minutes was pretty damn high for him. He had a season in San Antonio a couple years back where uh, he's at 0.7. Now he's at 1.8 blocks that year, so I guess you could argue that the 1.3 blocks could actually go up for Pirtle. And in fact, historically, you'd, you'd sort of venture to guess that they would. Anytime he's played 25 minutes or more, he's, which isn't, by the way, not a particularly large sample size, but previous two seasons where he got 26 minutes or more, he was at 1.8 and 1.7 blocks per game. It was only this year that that number came down. So the 1.3 blocks, very sustainable, could even go up coming this coming year in Toronto. 1.2 steals probably does come down. Nine plus rebounds, very sustainable, especially if the Raptors move Pascal Siakam and the team potentially gets smaller. Nine plus shots per game, very sustainable. And so what you're looking at here is basically, not this most recent season with the Spurs, but the one before it, where he played 29 minutes per game. I think you could get him into the 28s, get him pretty close to that. And he was at 13.5 points per game, 9.3 rebounds, 0.7 steals, 1.7 blocks. What does that mean for Jakob overall? Well, that comes down to free throws a little bit because that season with the Spurs, his free throw shooting was atrocious. 49.5% at the charity stripe, and he was a full, unadulterated punt foul shot guy. So I guess we have to ask ourselves which Jakob Pertl is the one that we get next time around because throughout his career, he's been a 54% foul shooter. He started at 54, then 59. You can go through his career 54, 59, 53, 47, 51, 49 and a half, and then this year, 59. Is that real? Or is that like his second season in the league in Toronto where it was just magically 59, but then came back down? I think you have to assume that it's going to be at 54, 55, and anything below that you call bad luck, and anything above that you call good luck. Now, if he continues and shoots 59-60% again this coming year, maybe you can start to call it a trend and not an aberration. Right now, you kind of have to call it an aberration. So, where does that put Jakob Pertl? If he's going for 14, 9.5, 2 and change, and about 2.5 defensive stats, great field goal percent guy, pretty bad free throw percent guy, that probably puts him in the top 50. Because he was in the mid-60s, with those numbers and 49 and a half at the foul line. And then he was in the 30s post All-Star break this year with those numbers and 60% at the free throw line. Because that really is basically the difference here. A few more steals, a couple fewer blocks. Everything else is pretty much exactly the same, except free throw. You can kind of split the difference. Go from being a full punt foul guy to just a bad one. That's actually a big jump. These guys that are just, that you cannot roster if you want to have any chance at, at winning free throws, which he was two seasons ago, those guys drag numbers down. And for Roto, you're probably trying to win it. Head-to-head, obviously, you can do something with Pirtle and you can just accept it. Like, if he's even worse at the foul line, maybe you don't care. You're probably maybe leaning into the foul shot thing anyway. But if you're trying to attack all nine categories, well, you have to put a little bit of a question mark there. 
But I love Jakob Pertl because he finished last year, like, what did we just say, around 70-something over the full season? And to me, that also that's going to cloud the way people look at him for next year. I think he probably gets drafted after 60, would be my guess. And he legitimately does have, as you saw at the end of last season, he legitimately has third-round upside. So if you can get him in the sixth, I'm all for it. I did more on Jakob Pertl there than I intended to, but it's also why I didn't go into Pertl on yesterday's show because I knew I was going to talk about him a bunch. Let me talk about one more guy before we tell you about Caldera Lab. And that one more guy is Chris Middleton, who is back with the Bucks and wealthy. 37? No, $34 million a year. Three years, $34 million a year. Back with the Bucks. But... What are we going to get out of Middleton this year? I put out a tweet, which, by the way, you can find me on Twitter or threads, at Dan Vespers. I put out a tweet. Um, now, I, I legitimately can't remember if it was first thing this morning or last night because my brain is squish these days. And it asked people to guess who they thought might be on the Dan Vespers old man squad, which, as we've explained a million times on this podcast, doesn't actually mean the player needs to be old. It just means to it just means that they're not shiny. Chris Middleton is very much not a shiny player this year because he had an awful fantasy and reality season. Could not stay on the floor. The Bucks babied him. The entire way through actually finally getting him out there, he got into the 30-minute-per-game range in, like, mid-March for the first time all year. So he only averaged 24 minutes a game this season. Yeah, his usage was through the roof when he was out on the court because he was like, okay, I know I'm only out here for 25 minutes. I guess I better go completely buck wild with it. So some of his stats didn't suffer the way you might have expected, but plenty of them did. I have to admit... I'm a little worried about what Chris Middleton is going into next year. He's not an old, old guy, but he's about a month away from turning 32. So when someone of that age range starts to show these very significant signs of wear and tear, I can't completely ignore them. At the same time... This was a guy in Middleton who was pretty much perennially underdrafted because his fantasy game was so boring. Because he was an okay percentages guy. I mean, okay, pretty good, actually. Very good foul shooter. Free th- or field goal number that... He came really close to having a 50-40-90 year during the COVID season, but throughout his career, he's been much closer to 45-46-47 than 50. Either way, pretty good. Couldn't hit the three ball this season, but I kind of want to wipe that out. Pretty good three-point shooter, you know, two-plus per game for the most part. Five to six rebounds, four-ish assists, a little more than a steal. The problem with Middleton is that everybody knew he was never going to take another leap beyond where he's at, which, by the way, is pretty damn good because he's behind Giannis. So he gets the behind Giannis treatment by fantasy players. Those of us that watch a lot of basketball have seen what he's meant to the Bucks all these years. Same story with Drew Holiday, who, by the way, Drew Holiday, kind of the same story in fantasy, where these guys are, like, 
very easy, clean singles anytime they can play even close to league average number of games. But this year, of course, we had the catastrophe scenario where Middleton didn't get into mostly anything. Now, Chris was getting drafted, uh, you know, 40s, 50s range year after year. And year after year, he's been at that or slightly above it. But now I wonder... Is there anything that suggests his role is going to be smaller? I don't think so. So, we take a guy who was slightly underdrafted almost every season. And despite generally beating his draft position by anywhere from a very small amount to a medium-sized amount, if we're talking about 1920 that year, 1920, 2019 to 2020, Add to that, now he's actually coming off a bad season. First one since 2016 for Middleton. That was an injury-plagued year. Missed most of the year. He had a big, like the big catastrophic one, then came back the next season and played every damn game. If you add those two things together, guy who's generally underdrafted a little bit anyway, plus coming off a bad season, I've got to assume he's going to get pretty significantly underdrafted this year. I mean, his numbers, he didn't finish anywhere near fantasy value. He was outside the top 140 on a per-game basis. Steals weren't there. Field goal percent wasn't there. Points weren't the same. Rebounds weren't the same. Threes weren't the same. Is there risk involved? Yeah. But as we just talked about with a guy like Jakob Pertl, I mean, I don't... I don't think Middleton gets picked in the 40s or 50s again this year. It feels like after coming off a really rough year, there's going to be a lot of fear there, and he probably slides. Okay, maybe 50s is possible, but mid-50s, early 60s? I'm not targeting him. Let's put that out there as, like, the main point here. I don't think that I'm going to end up with a ton of Chris Middletons, but in Roto Games Cap, if this is a guy that I can end up with Late 5th, early 6th, I'd probably prefer early 6th by quite a lot there. Because you can still get a lot of guys that are a bit more reliable. But I mean, if we're talking about into the 60s, I don't think he's getting into the 70s. Not a guy that has a history of scoring 20 points per game. But into the 60s, you gotta take a look at that, don't you? Let's jump into a message from our pals at Caldera Lab. My My buddy Dom... Hooking us up here. I've been rubbing some of the icon on my eyes this week. And I've needed it. Because sleep has been hard to come by this week. You guys heard on the podcast earlier that my older kid had strep. Wife is sick. It's, you know, it's working its way through. I'm sure I'm next. Maybe. I don't know. Will, <laughs> will Caldera Labs keep me from getting strep from my family? Just stay tuned and find out. Uh, one thing it will do is make it look at least, like I'm getting a little bit of rest with the icon, which is so easy to use. You massage one to two little pumps on your under eye and your eyelid. But that's just part of the story. Because we talked about it before, life is a series of first impressions and confidence. Discipline. These are indicators of a successful individual. Guess what? Even if you don't have those things, you can freaking look like you do. 
That's where Caldera Lab comes in. Incorporating skincare into your daily routine is effortless and can change your whole day, every day. Clinically proven, Caldera's products, Caldera Lab's products, reduce wrinkles, fine lines, and signs of aging. They proudly stand as a leader in men's skincare, which is, look, that's a wildly underrepresented part of skincare. How many commercials you see on TV for men's skincare? None. How many for women's? 99 a day? Well, you should probably turn off <laughs> whatever show you're watching if you're seeing that many commercials for women's skincare. Uh, use, uh, I mean, should tailor that. If you're a man, you should be listening to me instead because we have Caldera Lab. If you're a woman and you're seeing commercials for women's skincare, you're watching precisely the channel that they want you to watch. You're part of it. You're a sheep, man. Anyway, use our exclusive code ETHOS at CalderaLab.com to get 20% off their best products. The clean slate, the base layer, the good, and the icon that I was just telling you about before. A rejuvenating eye serum that addresses the three most common skin concerns, fine lines, dark circles, and puffiness. I got two of those in great supply these days. Uncompromising craftsmanship at Caldera Lab. Use our code again. That's ETHOS, 20% off. At calderalab.com using code ETHOS. Experience a whole new level of health in skincare with Caldera Labs. Next name on the board, Joe Ingles. Smoking Joe. He's going to the Orlando Magic. He's probably not going to have that much of a fantasy role, but it is nice to see Smoking Joe get himself into a spot where he's going to be relied upon as a little bit of a veteran leader on that team. And maybe there'll be a day where enough guys are hurt that you can plug him in, but I don't think it's going to be more than one day unless a lot of stuff goes south for Orlando this year. I like the signing. I guess I should frame it that way. I like the signing. I think he's going to give them something that they need on that team. Very young ball club. But from a fantasy standpoint, probably not. Kyrie Irving's extension. Eh, not an extension. That's a new contract. Kyrie Irving's new contract with the Mavs. Three years, 126. The last one is a player option? Question mark? Doesn't matter. Um, he'll be fine out there. Uh, I, I think that there's going to be, as there always is, and look, for, it's for good reason, there is a lot of trepidation around Kyrie Irving because he has a tendency to play when he wants to. But here's the thing. Kyrie Irving, fantasy-wise, is a freaking monster. He's a monster. And so you just kind of have to come to whatever, like, personal decision on how much of the Kyrie Irving experience you can handle. During his time in Dallas, Kyrie averaged 27 points, 5 boards, 6 assists, 1.2 steals. I mean, listen, like, I, these are huge numbers. Over half a block, 51-95 splits, and only 1.7 turnovers. He was in that Kawhi Leonard group of guys that were damn near a positive in everything. Kawhi pretty much did that as well. Uh after his season kind of got ramped up, he was uh, he was also a monster. But this is not a thing that you 
typically associate with Kyrie Irving because there's so much negativity around him. And look, some of it is warranted. You know, he'll just disappear from time to time. He had the whole thing with the video. and But look, I, I think my job here on this podcast is not to tell you how you should or should not feel about a player. Earlier on this offseason, I mentioned how I'm probably not drafting Miles Bridges, but I feel like that one's a little bit different. There's also question marks around what Miles Bridges is going to do. So from a fantasy standpoint, like, not only are you taking a chance on him, you're also saying, oh, yeah, like, are you personally condoning him being back in the league? Kyrie Irving's done some dumb crap. Nothing he's done has really kind of gotten up to quite that level. But here's the thing. Again, I don't want this to be about that. Everything's always got to be about something else. You guys know where I stand on pretty much everything. I don't need to bring that into the podcast. For our purposes, Kyrie Irving is actually a pretty damn durable basketball player who largely misses games for random weirdo reasons and this year shutdown stuff. Unfortunately, the number of times that happens is actually kind of significant. He missed 22 games this year. Last season, because of vaccine stuff, he missed 50. Not quite that many, I guess. It was a little bit less than that. No, actually, it was about 50. Uh, year before that, for a myriad reasons, he missed 18. First year in Brooklyn, he missed 60. 50-something. I think it was 50. So it's always something. And, I mean, you could trace this back throughout his entire career. He's never been a guy who made it through an entire season unchecked. But yet, the magic of Kyrie Irving is similar to the magic of Kyrie of Kawhi Leonard because both of them are so unbelievable on a per-game basis that you're constantly weighing out your fantasy scales of justice on whether or not taking that shot is worthwhile. Will they play enough games to beat their ADP? This year, Kawhi Leonard was getting drafted in the late 20s to around 30. He damn near got there despite missing 30 games. His totals value was 39. Kyrie Irving was drafted early second round, missed 22 games. You know where he finished by totals? 14 right on his damn ADP. I have no idea where Kyrie Irving is going to get drafted this coming season. My guess is a tiny bit later because people are going to just assume that playing alongside Luka Doncic is going to derail his usage. I actually don't think that that's necessarily the case because he's now on a team where there are basically no other options besides himself and Luka Doncic. With apologies to the rest of the gentlemen playing for the Dallas Mavericks. At least in Brooklyn, there were times where there were three guys out there that were willing to take a shot. Not all the time, but some of the time. He is more than capable of being somebody's 1B. He still took, I, I mean, what was it? I think it was still around 20 shots a game in Dallas. His points per game dropped by .2. It's not a contract year anymore, so that is a point of concern. 
But let's see where he goes. If he gets drafted after about 16, you probably have to go do it. Certainly on the Roto side. Head-to-head, I guess you could make arguments in, in both directions. George Niang uh, signed a three-year deal with the Cavaliers, who then went and got Max Struess also. Word on the street is that George Niang is one of the uh, most awesome clubhouse dudes in the entire NBA. But he's not, like, a supremely talented basketball player. He's a good floor spacer. He'll see time from time to time. He's going to be one of those hot hand sort of things. Good signing for the Cavs to get more shooting, and they didn't have to pay him what they paid Max Struess, but is he going to get to play a whole lot? Uh, nah. Let's do one more uh, because we are actually starting to get towards the end of this thing. We probably have one, maybe two shows left. Christoph Porzingis, uh, I don't know if this one got finalized, but he's expected to sign a two-year extension with the Boston Celtics, so we don't really have to go into that one too much. We already talked about what his role with that team is going to be like, so I'm not actually counting that one as the one. I'm talking, of course, about Jeremy Grant and his five-year, $160 million deal. And this is a really hard one to discuss because his future hangs in the Damian Lillard balance. Portland went into a shutdown again, so that did impact Jeremy Grant's number of games played. He only got to 63. It would have been higher than that if they were competitive, probably closer to 70. Average 20.5 points, 4.5 rebounds, 2.5 assists, just under a steal, just under a block on 47.5 and 81 splits. And we saw early in the season, this is where I want to sort of point everybody back to if you look at uh beginning of the year to basically like december or so when dame missed a bunch of time that's when anthony simons and jeremy grant got to go a little bit wild uh both of those guys were inside the top 50 when dame was gone i know that scoot henderson is there now and anybody that comes back in a damian Lillard trade is going to soak up some of that usage but the fact that jeremy grant has a pretty decent across the board fantasy game Minus, he's not a very good rebounder for a power forward, but the other stuff is all relatively good. He's got a nice floor. And sure, I'm sure they're going to try to move him at some point, but how easy is he going to move a a guy who just signed a five-year, $160 million contract? They're probably just going to have to eat that. Good luck moving that contract in the next two to three seasons. that's, That's a contract you can move in like 2026. He's going to play. Uh, I don't think Portland's going to have any choice but to try to compete a little bit. And, you know, they sort of tumbled Wiener first into uh, maybe a generational young player, so they might not need to go into a full tank. And, I like, Jeremy Grant getting 15 shots a game seems quite reasonable as things are currently constructed. Because as good as Scoot is, he's still going to be a rook. And then, let's say they get, like, a Tyler Hero back. Is he going to take all of Dame's shots? Nah. We do kind of have to see the way things play out before I can come on a podcast and say, hey, this is where you should draft Jeremy Grant. But let's say that Dame gets traded and Hero is the main thing that comes back. Uh, Jeremy Grant feels like top 75 range or maybe better. And so that's kind of where you need to start. And there's just nowhere for them to put him besides out on the floor. Not at that price. <laughs> Ooh, boy. All right, let's take a weekend break. We'll come back next week. We'll start it up with Bruce Brown getting paid by the Indiana Pacers. We are very close. 
very close to the end of this. In fact, I think we can do it in one more show. Bruce Brown, a bunch of minimum guys with the Suns, Kuzma, Torian Prince, Kobe White, Karis LeVert, Draymond Green, uh, the Joe Harris trade, the Chris Duarte trade, and then I think Harrison Barnes was the first... I think he was the first uh, free agent level news we got because it was an extension, so it didn't have to wait until the uh, moratorium part was uh, instigated. So can we get through all that on Monday? We'll find out. After that, we're getting into season win totals, one of my favorite six-day stretches on the podcast. Hope you'll join us for all of those. Once again, I'm Dan Vespers on Twitter, on threads, nowhere else because I'm too old to figure out any other social media. This is Fantasy NBA Today, a Sports Ethos presentation. Once again, check out the Fantasy Pass, the Wager Pass. We have some pretty cool stuff in the works on both of those things. But the Fantasy Pass right now for all sports is $7 a month. It goes up to 10 in the next few days or weeks. Lock in $7 for life by signing up now and just leaving it on. That's at SportsEthos.com. Ethos Fantasy BK. And YouTube.com slash Sports Ethos. We got all sorts of baseball and football stuff going on over on YouTube right now. And I have massive YouTube plans as we get closer. Basically, when Yahoo reopens their NBA leagues, which happens in about one month. Have a great weekend, everybody. We'll talk to you after the halfway point of July. It's coming, baby. It's coming. All right. Later for now. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.